0: head cannabis show jim marty here running around denver counting marijuana inventory i got my partner up in chicago larry michigan how you doing larry
1: jim i'm doing just fine thank you very much hope you uh, and the family had a nice christmas and a nice new year's running around and checking inventory that's not a bad way to spend today what's that all about
0: oh so, you know uh closing out the books of a uh, cannabis business you've got to get a very accurate inventory on the last day of the year So that's what I've been doing the last couple of days is counting pound after pound of uh, cannabis.
1: Boy, I'd I'd say that's one of those jobs that, you know, sounds tough, but somebody's got to do it, huh?
0: Yep. The only good thing is I'm getting a little, you know, um, some very inexpensive marijuana. Uh, In Colorado, you cannot give away marijuana um, by law. So I got seven joints yesterday for seven cents
1: nothing wrong with that. That's a fair trade. I'd say, you know, you give them a hard day's work, they make a nice deal with you and you're all set for new year's Eve.
0: Right. So anyway, this is our last show of 2020. Uh, yep. COVID still seems to be a lot in the news before I flew to Aspen for this inventory count. I did get tested and tested negative because Good. I thought we were going to check the people getting off the plane, but it didn't.
1: how crowded was Aspen?
0: Well, it's very different. There, certainly, it's nothing like it normally would be on New Year's. Sure. The restaurants are trying to stay open, and um, they're, they're at 25% capacity, so they are open. Last call's at 10 o'clock, and it was quite a few people skiing on the mountain.
1: That's nice. Did you have a chance to ski?
0: Yeah, I skied Sunday and Monday, and it was good, really good skiing. I got a little bit of uh, powder going on Monday, and then Tuesday was a powder day, but I had to...
1: To work, so. And where you said you were going to ski Ajax?
0: I skied Ajax on Sunday. I hadn't skied it for some time. It was uh, just as steep as I remember it.
1: <laughs> well, maybe maybe as we get older, it gets a little steeper.
0: Yeah, I actually felt real good. My legs were a little sore, but uh, everything else was working good. I felt my breathing and wonderful all good. So, uh, but I skied for miles and miles and miles.
1: Well, you know, you've been doing it your whole life practically, right? So it's it's like second nature for you to just get up. You can do it with your eyes closed except for the damn trees. Yeah. Well, we finally got some snow here the other night, kind of unexpectedly about five or six inches, but it was just one of those gross, you know, really heavy wet snows you can't really do much with. And, you know, it's like going to give you a heart attack if you try and shovel it off your driveway. So, I had to go uh, recruit my son who was to his credit more than uh, happy to come out and help his father not die and uh we got it all shoveled off and uh that's it but now you know it's typical chicago it's 40 degrees today so it's all just turned into a big slush uh, mess everywhere and uh, who knows what it'll be like by uh, you know by the time we hit uh, midnight tomorrow night so we'll see but um you know nothing too exciting going on here weather wise or anything else Uh, although i will tell you we did uh, Uh, finally get some uh, certainty in one of these cannabis lawsuits. But unfortunately, uh, it went the way these things normally do, which means that the state won. uh, And specifically, while they're still fighting out the um, cultivation license, excuse me, the uh, dispensary licenses, and and that that lawsuit rages on as they try to figure out what to do with that scoring system, a group of Craft Grow applicants formed a craft growers association, and then they filed a mandamus lawsuit asking the court to order the Illinois department of agriculture to announce the winners of the craft grow licenses. And they cited a bunch of expenses that they're running into by having to maintain property and workforces and other things that are required under the statute. So they claimed that, you know, there was an actual harm and a damage to them and they were applicants. So they had standing to bring the lawsuit and they got a full hearing on it. And just two days ago, the, uh, the cook County judge came down and, uh, as many of us expected he would sided with the state and said that the state does not have to announce if it's not ready to announce yet, and although it found that there were many legitimate arguments made by the plaintiff, by the the Craft Grow Association, they weren't sufficient to overcome uh, all the deference that the state is entitled to uh, as it uh, runs this program. And especially since this was the first time going through the program, the court also recognized it's not like there's a pattern or a system that's been used over and over to which people had grown accustomed. Uh, you know, nobody really knew how this was gonna go. So, um, That's unfortunate because uh, now nobody knows when the craft grow uh, is going to be announced. Um, There had been some rumors that it was going to be announced uh, perhaps sometime in mid to late January. uh, But I think that all of that was kind of predicated upon a belief that the judge might rule in favor of the plaintiffs in that lawsuit. Uh, But having ruled in favor of the state, uh, you know, the officials now have to sit there and say to themselves, Hey, look, we're currently up to our eyeballs in legal battles on the dispensary side because the second and third place finishers came in and challenged our scoring system. We used the exact same scoring system in the the craft grow applications. So if we give out the craft grow applications now, and then later on in the lawsuit, the judge ultimately rules that our scoring system was no good, that's gonna create a backlash over here on the cultivation side, and all the second and third place finishers there will now all go crazy and file. So we'd rather wait and see what the judge says And then that way, we'll know that when we award the craft grow licenses, we're awarding them in a manner that's consistent with law as it's been interpreted by the court. And while that all sounds really nice, uh, the unfortunate part is that could push off announcements of these licenses, you know, well into April or May of next year, 2021. And, you know, quite frankly, Jim, that's a really long time to ask applicants to sit around. Uh, and, and, you know, carry their business without being able to do anything just so the state can work all the various kinks out of its system.
0: That's a shame. That's a real shame because it is expensive. You got to pay rent on an empty building. You know, I'm working with a group in Massachusetts right now. They're probably at least a year from First Harvest and they've sunk $3 million into the program so far.
1: Yep. And there's an added cost here in Illinois because, again, Uh, Part of the issue with the scoring system is the social equity program, and and it was quickly determined that the way the state had set it up uh, in a rather unfortunate manner now required that every single applicant attain social equity status in order to have a chance to get a license. One of the ways that an applicant could get social equity status if they did not live in a uh, disparate neighborhood or if they had not previously been arrested for marijuana offenses was if they made a commitment to ensure uh, that at least 51% of their workforce was comprised of individuals who did qualify for social equity one way or another. Um, So that basically was the thing that allowed everyone, no matter where you lived or what had happened before in your life, you could qualify for social equity. However, the catch that the state put in was that at the time you submitted your application, you had to file an affidavit and proof demonstrating that these individuals were already employed by you and being paid and when it was asked about this in the question and answer session the state said they don't you know we we recognize you don't have a marijuana license yet they don't have to be working for your marijuana business yet but you have to have them employed now so in other words all these applicants who went that route for social equity have had to have been carrying basically uh, a a staff of people and continue to have to do so because that's their social equity ticket. And they're saying, but, you know, the longer you make us have to pay salaries to people whose services we really don't need yet. But on the other hand, these, you know, these, these applicants and these owners can't yell very loudly about that because then that flies in the face of, you know, their quote unquote, true commitment to social equity.
0: Well, that's all too bad. Well, on a brighter note, um, I've been running around Colorado the last couple of days. I was in Aspen yesterday and I'm in Denver um, doing end of the year inventory and um, sales in Colorado are brisk. Prices are pretty firm. $30 Ace, um, $50 cartridges, sometimes $30 vape pen cartridges. Yep. And so, um, yeah, well, I've been running around doing these inventories. In fact, I just pulled up at a, a new client here and there's a, about 10 people in line outside so sales are brisk here and I've been really impressed with the I've counted hundreds and hundreds of one pound bags of cannabis and just amazing looking flower it really makes you want to try some of it
1: I'm sure it does. That's that's the problem with that job. You know, you walk around all day, you know, just looking at all that stuff. But, you know, know, the law says you can't touch any of it right then and there. Um, I'm glad to hear that those numbers are going well. In Illinois, they continue to go strong. Surprisingly, though, uh, numbers that were just released show that in Michigan, cannabis sales have dropped rather substantially. Since July of this year, sales have dropped by almost $15 million a month. I wonder why. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been, nobody's really been able to give a, a very particular reason about it. It's, uh, you know, various agencies have looked into it. And uh, I think that what they say is that they're running into a problem that uh, there's a number of municipalities in Michigan that opted out of adult use sales. And, uh, you know, they've, they've kind of run out of space uh, everywhere else, and I think that they've, you know, created an oversaturated market, uh, not because of the total number of licensees that they have, but because those licensees are all relegated to certain designated areas because such a big chunk of the state has said we don't want to be and have any part of it. Well,
0: Colorado continues to be on pace to have a record year at 2.2 billion, and you know, a new record of sales, and again, a mature market of 11 years old.
1: I think that's great, you know, <laughs> and I think it's important as well, because as certain states, you know, kind of fluctuate uh, with their sales, uh, having states like California and Colorado uh, are always going to be the anchors, or at least well into the near future, uh, for cannabis and for cannabis markets. And, you know, so no matter how well uh, any one other particular state is doing, I think that the national a conscience and image on this will continue to be shaped by those states, uh, you know, given both their size, uh, their experience, and, you know, kind of the public's imagination as to what we're talking about when we say Colorado marijuana and, and California marijuana.
0: Yes. Well, um, here's to a uh, prosperous uh, 2021 for the industry. Hopefully, Illinois will come online with more licenses and craft licenses and um i am going to have to go because i do have to do another inventory count here at the end of the day here okay So um, anyway all i'm going to let you uh close out the year for us go ahead and uh, take us to the last 10 or 15 minutes and i'm just going to say to all of our followers out there and we do have quite a few followers i have people in my world or people i meet and say they really enjoy this show and uh, listen to it regularly. So thank you to our listeners. And uh, Jim Marty saying, I will see you in 2021.
1: Jim, have a great, happy, healthy new year. Be safe and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy that count and get it right. Happy New Year. <laughs> talk to you soon. Bye bye. Okay. So uh, Jim has left us and. Um, so I will uh, continue to go on for a few minutes here with some other uh, uh, interesting information that's out there and things to be considering as we head out of the end of the year here. Uh, so we do show numbers that have dropped in Michigan. Uh, that's obviously a disappointment as a Midwest state along with Illinois. Uh, Michigan's a little bit of a bellwether state, I think, in terms of where things stand in the middle part of the country. And even though Illinois' numbers continue to remain strong, uh, you know, Michigan could be setting an example uh, for the ways markets in the Midwest can go, if you do not have uh, a sufficient amount of of state approval, I think uh, um, that the numbers that they were talking about in Michigan is that in a state that has approximately 1,700 uh, municipalities, um, 152 have authorized medical cannabis licenses, but only 85 municipalities out of 1,700. Have approved adult use licenses, and with those kind of numbers, uh, there's just no way for a state to succeed. I think on an overall statewide basis, uh, within those 85 municipalities, you can only have so many dispensaries before they, uh, you know, all kill each other in terms of uh, pricing and competition. Um, and that's interesting to see. And I think that what that does is it also speaks, as we, we see in politics all the time. Uh, to the various um, political influences and social dynamics that we have throughout a particular state. Certainly in Michigan, um, I think it's fair to say that nobody would be surprised to hear that uh, Detroit and Ann Arbor and East Lansing um, are all states that have allowed uh, adult use. Uh, Grand Rapids, I believe, is another one. So some of the larger states, the states with the big state schools, uh, the, the the towns with the big state schools, um, and those are the ones that have. But as you get out into the center of Michigan and uh, a little bit farther north, uh, Michigan becomes much more rural and it becomes much more conservative. And uh, certainly that I think has been evidenced in a lot of what we've seen uh, throughout this last election cycle and everything that's gone on up in the state of Michigan. And um, as a person who went to school in Ann Arbor and uh, likes the state of Michigan a lot, I'm not here to criticize them. just to point out that uh, you know, there have been some things that have gone on in that state uh, that have raised eyebrows in terms of uh, strong movements swinging one way uh, and maybe going a little bit too far in terms of what they're trying to accomplish uh, and obviously, uh, you know, in this industry, we have to be very careful. Uh, it's a very heavily regulated industry. Uh, you know, we need everyone to be on the same page and to be working together with us. Um, but it would be wonderful to see more municipalities in the state of Michigan open up. And and I shouldn't just be pointing at Michigan. The state of Illinois is the same way. There's a large number of towns in, in the state of Illinois uh, that have so far refuse to allow adult use sales, uh, notwithstanding the fact that you would otherwise consider these municipalities to be, um, you know, uh, very upwardly mobile and, uh, you know, certainly modern enough to be uh, not old fashioned or anything like that. Um, But yet, nevertheless, we see uh, a reluctance to really uh, allow uh, adult use marijuana to be sold on an open statewide basis, you know, why that's the case, I think we've talked about before, and we could certainly talk about more if we wanted to. Um, but it just really comes down to a hundred years of government brainwashing, and only you know five or ten years uh, of a of a change in a sentiment that all of a sudden, uh, not only do we not have the danger here uh, that we thought we had, um, but this is actually a pretty good thing on a lot of levels. It it, it helps. The states financially, um, and as we've talked about, study after study after study uh, just demonstrates the efficacy of marijuana. Which, again, just to be clear, nobody's going around and just advocating um, that people should just get intoxicated and go out and do stupid things. Uh, marijuana, like anything else, is something that has to be treated responsibly, and uh, people owe it to themselves uh, and everyone else to make sure that before they uh, indulge in marijuana, that they understand what it is they're indulging in. They understand doses and quantities, uh, wait times for it to kick in and become effective, uh, you know, and, 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 and what you can and cannot do. And certainly at the top of that list is get behind the wheel of a car. And we want to emphasize again that nobody in the industry advocates intoxicated driving. However, it goes without saying that, as between drivers who are intoxicated with alcohol and drivers who are intoxicated with marijuana, the marijuana drivers are considerably safer, so much safer uh, that it really uh, creates the illusion that marijuana is safe to drive under. Um, And that's, I think, an important distinction as well, uh, that we are a society that advocates a certain amount of public intoxication, uh, certainly on Friday and Saturday nights, on holidays, on Super Bowl Sundays, and uh, all sorts of other events. But really, given any Saturday night in any major metropolitan area, there's a large number of people who go to dinner somewhere and have a drink or two or three and get behind the wheel of their car and drive home. And we as a society don't run around with our hands in our heads and say, that's the end of alcohol. In fact, we tried that once and it backfired spectacularly. Um, you know, And so to, to continue to do that about marijuana seems to me to be hypocritical, uh, but not only hypocritical, dangerous. Because if there's studies that tell us this, and if people given a choice between smoking marijuana or drinking alcohol as their uh, preferred form of intoxication, choose to smoke marijuana instead of drinking alcohol, then we would find that everybody's rides home on Saturday night are measurably and demonstrably safer than they are when everybody's Uh, intoxicated by having uh, had too much alcohol to drink. Um, But yet again, there was an article here in one of the newspapers the other day put out by a group anti-marijuana talking about the large number of uh, marijuana-related accidents and cases, and uh, they try to parse them out and say whether one person was high or another person was high or whether uh, they think that they can prove that marijuana was the contributing factor. Uh, but traditionally, what all of these tests have shown is that they do a blood sample, and if it comes back positive for THC, uh, then based on the presence of the THC and the amount that's uh, there, they will then make a prediction that, yes, this person must have been intoxicated on marijuana at the time of the accident. Of course, that's nonsense. Um, and it's a silly, silly way to do anything. Um, but that's what the, that, that's, that's the type of bias that continues to linger by people who are against marijuana just because they're against marijuana. And it's unfortunate. And, um, we can talk about it more, but I think that after a while, people get the idea. Uh, it's not something that society as a whole should be wringing its hands about, and I think that's reflected that a very large number of our uh, member of our uh, percentage of our society has approved marijuana and, and supports it, uh, and they see through all of that propaganda now. And they've taken the time to either read up on it or they've experimented with marijuana themselves, or they know people that have, um, and you know they're not afraid to recognize and understand. Uh, that marijuana is not the evil substance that the government has made it out to be. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's really the best thing about this industry that we have an industry that's taken hold and been able to grow while the federal government continues to call it illegal. And you just don't see that with any other product or anything in our current society. or I would I would add, you know, really as far back as civilized society has taken place. And, and the fact that this has happened, Uh, can only be chalked up to the fact that marijuana is an important enough substance uh, for human beings that uh, the mere fact that a group of legislators have ruled it illegal uh, is not going to be enough to keep them from uh, accessing it and using it in whatever way they believe is most beneficial to them. Um, And that's certainly where we're trying to go with this industry. And that's the direction I think that we are going. And once again, if we need any proof, look at South Dakota and Mississippi, uh, Montana and other red states that this last election cycle approved marijuana legislation by large amounts. These weren't close battles that came down to 51 percent Republican, 49 percent Democrat or the flip flop, depending on which state you're in. Uh, these propositions were passing by 20% and 30%. Uh, and that's a significantly huge margin uh, in any general public election. Um, and that can only be interpreted to mean that we as a society are now very open. Uh, to marijuana being a part of it. And um, it's really just a matter of getting law enforcement, uh, a few of our uh, societal moralists, whether uh, religious leaders or not necessarily. Um, But there are certainly people out there who, from a moral perspective, uh, oppose marijuana regardless of its legality. Um, There are some alarmists who still believe that it was going to cause a nation full of schizophrenic Crazies, um, And, you know, these are these are some of these are fears we'll just never be able to get over for certain people. Um, and like I say, though, that'll just create more for the rest of us. And while they're uh, going around pulling their hair out of their head, we'll be all very relaxed and enjoying ourselves. So uh, in that respect, it, it, it almost becomes a positive uh, But it's the interesting part about these lawsuits in Illinois that we were talking about is that it shows just how important this really is to people. And, you know, I mean, these people have already spent 150, 200 or 250,000 and some for cultivation applications, maybe even more just to get their applications on file. And now they're willing to throw another 50 or a hundred thousand dollars at litigation, uh, in an effort to, you know, get those licenses awarded and to make sure that they get a license. That's a lot of money. Um, and it's a lot of money in, uh, Uh, a type of proposition where if you ultimately don't get the license, it's like making a bet in Las Vegas. You know, you don't get your license. You don't get your money back. You don't get anything. You go home and and lick your wounds and decide if you're going to try again. Um, So I suppose on the one hand, it's no wonder that people, uh, after having spent so much on the applications, come forward with such aggressive uh, litigation, if they aren't ones who actually get the licenses. Um, you know, the other perspective, of course, is, hey, look, everybody goes in this more or less the same way, um, and unless it can be demonstrated that there is, you know, objective fraud that clearly uh, and demonstrably favored certain groups of people over other groups of people, uh, you know, then I can understand uh, more of a need to uh, engage in that type of litigation, um, you know, and, and as tough as it might be, uh, if you're on the side that didn't get the license, and I've I've certainly been on that side a lot more than I've been on the side that does get the license, just given the, the numbers and the percentages, uh, it, it is hard to walk away from it. But uh, one of the things I try to tell my clients is, look, the more important thing here for right now is that the program in whatever particular state you're in has a chance to really you know, take hold and and get strong and and take off and become popular. Uh, And that's not going to happen if the population is sitting around watching the potential owners fight tooth and nail over all of this to the point where it becomes more of a distraction uh, than anything of interest to the public. We want the public to come out. We want them to support our industry. And the best way to do that is to get those first round of license holders out there and operating you know, a state like Illinois, this is only the first round out of maybe three or four or five rounds. So I say to a lot of people, instead of spending your time and money filing the lawsuit, that you're probably not going to win. Um, and not only that, but it slows down the entire program and the program can't really get started. It can't really go forward. It can't really have its success measured um, because it's being restricted by this, uh, by all of this litigation that's going on. And You know, again, it's hard to say uh, who's right and who's wrong, and I guess a lot of it just depends on what side of the table you're sitting at, but, you know, I I do believe that overall we're in a stronger position uh, when we don't file as many lawsuits. In fact, um, there was just an announcement that in the state of Missouri, which has been having a, a ton of lawsuits uh, brought against it for its medical program, whose winners were supposed to have been announced almost a year before Illinois. Down there, a Missouri judge uh, just upheld the state's uh, medical marijuana program against an unconst- against an unconstitutionality charge. So after however much time and money uh, was spent by groups who did not prevail and who were very upset and you know waged war in Missouri, and they did, um, after all of this time, a year, two years later, uh, they've now inevitably lost. Um, and the 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 state program suffers for it because as of right now, there's only a small handful of dispensaries that have actually opened in Missouri that weren't in the districts that were being challenged in the litigation. Uh, you know the the people who, uh, have gotten their licenses and now finally get to open have been hurt because they lost a lot of time and uh, opportunity to get set up and get started and and really you know get sunk in and 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 clearly the people who didn't get licenses have lost because they spent all that time and money on the applications and then they spent all this time and money on the litigation and and came up on the short end of it, um, but it happens over and over again. And I think there's a lot of emotion that plays into filing these lawsuits. Uh, and as a guy who makes or always made his money in the courtroom being a litigator you know my biggest hope is that one of the lessons that we overall begin to learn from all of this is that these lawsuits really don't get anywhere and uh, they may not be the best way to go um, in terms of trying to write what a second or third place finisher perceives as a wrong Um but nevertheless, that's where we went this time. Uh, you know, right now in Illinois, the medical guys are all thrilled to death because they continue to uh, to monopolize the market. Um, and you know, there may be uh, an argument that could be made that after all they had to put up with in the medical program for so long, that they're entitled to a little more time. Uh, but I think that overall, the program succeeds by having more people in it, not fewer. Um, and creates more competition and better products and better pricing and better all of that. And so the hope really is uh, that we get this Illinois market opened up very soon and get all of the players in uh, who the uh, statute has promised will be allowed to play in terms of numbers and everything else. Um, otherwise, as far as marijuana, I think that's it for this year. We will all keep a very close eye on uh, uh, the election in Georgia that's coming up here in a day or so. Um Uh, This is very important, as we have discussed, because if the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, Mitch McConnell will continue to act as the doorkeeper on what uh, legislative acts do and do not see the Senate floor for a vote. Um, There's been a number of marijuana uh, laws that have gotten through the House banking and uh, the most recent Decriminalization Act, uh, and McConnell has showed zero interest in moving any of those forward uh, during his time as president of the Senate. doesn't necessarily mean that he will still be uh, as much of a stick in the mud, if you will, on a going forward basis. Uh, but it does mean that um, I think that our chances are—meaning the people who are interested in seeing forward movement in the legalization of marijuana—our chances are better served uh, if we have a democratic majority in the Senate uh, with a democratic president who will be the one who controls the flow of legislation that that reaches the Senate floor. So, of course, that makes the battle on in Georgia uh, on the two Senate races a huge, huge, huge battle uh, as far as the marijuana industry is concerned. Um, and it'll be very, very interesting ultimately to see how not just how those battles turn out, Uh, but what they do mean for the cannabis industry, uh, large and small on a going forward basis. So certainly that's going to be the the very big story here that we're keeping our closest eye on uh, over the next period of time. But there's all sorts of new legislation uh, that's that's been coming out and some that hits the books on January 1st. And in the coming weeks, uh, Jim and I will try our best uh, to get through as much of those as we can, at least the ones of interest, and point out both so that people are aware of what the law is, but also again, to kind of help us gauge where we as a society are going with this. Uh, And you can often tell that based on the type of laws um, that are passed. Uh, On the musical side, you know, look, it's the end of the year and uh, this is the Deadhead Cannabis Show. And uh, we talk a lot about the Grateful Dead and we talk a lot about fish. And last week, Jim and I, uh, you know, bemoaned the fact that there is no New Year's shows. And uh, we talked about how special the New Year's shows are. I've never seen a fish New Year's show. Jim has seen both Ted and fish for New Year's. So that gives him a leg up on that. But as a guy who saw three or four Grateful Dead New Year's shows, I can tell you that there's nothing like it. And, um, you know, uh, those were always the time that the show's leading up to in the New Year's Eve show uh, when the dead would break out a lot of new covers. uh, Give Me Some Lovin', Day Tripper uh, are a few of the ones I remember them playing uh, from past New Year's Eve shows that I was at. And they'd always have some eclectic band opening for them. Uh, The Neville Brothers one year, uh, they were great and came out and played uh, all of their hit songs and then brought the house down with their cover of, uh, Adobe Gray's, um, uh, Class, uh, pop classic Drift Away, uh, which was kind of funny to be hearing right as you're getting ready to see uh, The Grateful Dead on New Year's Eve. Um, but they were always a lot of fun. And when Bill Graham was still around, they were especially a lot of fun. And uh, you know, everything we've ever read about it and and heard about it talks about how much Bill himself loved the New Year's Eve shows and how they would, uh, what would the, the big disguise be, father time, when you're writing in on a giant marijuana lit marijuana joint Uh, other years coming in on a cloud or a guitar or on top of a rainbow Um, but it was always the show within a show and you'd go to a dead show and they'd come out and play a first set that might even be fairly pedestrian but it was the anticipation afterwards while you were waiting for the countdown to midnight when they would kick in with the second set you know what are they going to do what kind of gimmick are they going to have and of course most importantly what song are they going to play how are they going to open up the new year um, I was lucky. I saw a wide variety. I saw Sugar Magnolia twice. I saw In the Midnight Hour once. And, um, you know, uh, very strangely enough, one year they, they played uh, Going to Hell in a Bucket as the midnight song, which I wasn't really quite sure about other than, you know, maybe Bobby was looking for a little recognition. But he certainly gets it with Sugar Mag. And I would say that out of all of those and any of the songs that they could play at midnight, uh, in, in my personal opinion, there is nothing like the dead kicking into Sugar Magnolia. Uh, right at midnight to launch a new year Uh, it's the best way to spend the first 10 minutes of a new year Uh, and if you can do it in the company of a room full of deadheads um, who are all enjoying themselves in their own unique ways uh, all the better and then we'd all come tumbling out of there at two or three in the morning and they'd give us a bagel and some cream cheese and a little cup of uh, orange juice to take with us and uh um, and off we'd go into the night and try and get a few hours of sleep before dragging our asses out of bed to watch football. Uh, Cause especially out there on the West coast, it would all start so early in the morning, but you know, quite frankly uh, we wouldn't have had it any other way. And if they were still having the new year's shows, uh, I dare say that uh, certainly with the kids old enough now, uh, we'd maybe still be heading out there and, and checking some of those out. But instead uh, we'll go to the uh, live casts that they're going to have uh, um, with uh, bob weir and uh, and wolf brothers uh fish is going to have some pretty cool stuff or had some pretty cool stuff i guess depending on when you listen to this podcast uh but certainly in the next show we will do a quick recap of uh, some of the new year's eve musical offerings that were out there um and try to get reviews from people who uh heard various parts of them. And we're really excited about 2021. We think we have some great guests coming up. Uh, Jim and I are excited to continue to track uh, the progress of marijuana and where it is both legally, uh, how it's doing as a business and where it stands uh, overall in society. Um, and we do that uh, ourselves, but we also do it with youth listeners and we thank all of you for taking the time this year to listen to our podcast. Uh, we thank our guests for taking the time to come on our show and, and help, uh, make the podcast uh, content more interesting to hopefully bring in more people. And uh, listen, if people listen to our show and just come away with the idea that, hey, marijuana is not such a bad thing, uh, then we've done our job. We, we assume that people already feel that way about the Grateful Dead. Um, but I guess if we could convert somebody on that too, uh, that's also a tip of the cap. But uh, you know, we're, we're really focused on making sure uh, that at the end of the day, uh, society as a whole is comfortable with the fact that marijuana is here to stay, and uh, is going to become an acceptable part of our society where people can smoke it without having to feel embarrassed or ashamed, ashamed that they're doing so. Um, So just to wrap up, uh, Larry Mishkin of the Hoban Law Group. Uh, Thank you to everyone. Thanks to my co-host, Jim Marty, for a great year. Uh, Thanks to our producer, Dan Humiston and MJ Bulls for the tremendous job they do week in and week out in producing our show. Uh, taking the time to make sure it gets taped right and editing it and posting it and publicizing it. And uh, they really do the hard part and the the tough work and uh, we're lucky to get to work with them. So to Dan and everyone there, Happy New Year as well. And to all of our listeners uh, and anyone else out there, we wish you a very, very happy, healthy 2021. Uh, Hope that this year is a little bit better than 2020. And I'm sure for some people that'll kind of be a no-brainer. And for the rest of us, if it can just be a great year, uh, we can stay healthy, listen to some great music and find a way to capture some live debt again. And last but not least, uh, enjoy your cannabis, uh, enjoy it a lot and enjoy it responsibly. Thank you, everyone. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you soon.